Welcome to Waypoint, an Oklahoma human services podcast intended to inform, educate, and enhance collaboration and service to Oklahomans. I'm Comfort. And I'm Casey. And we're on this journey with you together. On today's episode, we're speaking with Marla Stripling and Tony Bryan about the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging Council, or DEIB. Since 2019, Marla has served as the Director of the Office for Civil Rights. She holds Juris Doctorate and Bachelor of Arts degrees with a minor in Early Childhood Development from the University of Oklahoma. Marla is a licensed attorney and member of the Oklahoma Bar Association. Additionally, she is a Certified Equal Employment Opportunity Commission Discrimination Investigator and a Certified Mediator. Tony Bryan is a 27-year OKDHS veteran and has been the Inspector General since 2011. He has served in the Office of Inspector General for more than 24 years in a variety of roles, including public assistance and daycare fraud investigations, as well as food stamp trafficking. Tony is a certified CLEAT instructor, holds advanced certification in law enforcement from CLEAT, completed Executive Protection School, and is a graduate of the CLEAT Criminal Investigative Academy. Tony earned a Bachelor of Arts in Business Management from the University of Central Oklahoma, followed by a Master's in Human Relations from the University of Oklahoma. The DEIB Council was formed in 2020 to ensure the agency's work includes all voices that may be underrepresented. Thank you all for being here today. Good morning. Thank you all for having us. Yes, thank you. This is truly an honor. We are here today with Tony Bryan, who is, tell me what your position and your, what what you got going on at DHS. All right, I'm Tony Bryan. I'm the Inspector General for the Department of Human Services. And I'm also over uh, the Administrator of uh, Office of Background Investigations. Marla? Marla? (laughs) I am the Director for the Office for Civil Rights. Um, We primarily handle uh, reasonable accommodations as well as discrimination complaints, um, allegations, concerns, issues. Mm -hmm. And how long have you guys been with the department each? Well, I've been with the agency for a little over 27 years. Really? Wow. What does your journey look like in that time? Like, how did you come to DHS in the first place and then... Well, I, I started off as a file clerk. I took the uh, file clerk test before I graduated from college. Uh, that's the only thing I qualified for at that time. And I was a file clerk for about nine months, and then I took the social worker test, and I became a social worker. And I was a social worker for three years. Then I went over to the Office of Inspector General's office. I did uh, daycare investigations and audits for a year. Then I went over and did public assistance fraud investigations for a year. Then I went over to the food stamp trafficking unit. That's the unit that does the undercover uh, investigations and so forth. I did that for right at six years. Then I got promoted to supervisor and supervisor for of referral management unit, which that's the unit that I created. What um, is it? <clears throat> referral management unit. Oh, referral nice. management. Unit. Yes. Okay. Uh, that unit. What basically what it is before we I created the referral management unit. Every referral that came into the agency just got farmed out to all the investigators to investigate. And so when I was working on my master's degree, I said, you know, I had to do an internship, and I said, well, I think I can improve the process on how we uh, evaluate our uh, cases. So I came up with the concept of referral management unit where we have a group of people who have casework background experience because most of the investigators did not have a casework background. They had law enforcement background. Mm-hmm. So I got a couple of caseworkers that were already working for the uh, for the division, and they reviewed the cases and everything and looked at all the screens and so forth, and they determined 
whether it violated DHS policy or was it a criminal violation along with violating DHS policy. So based on doing that, <clears throat> I was able to reduce everyone's caseloads down by a little over 41%. Wow. And so from once I you know, completed my internship working on my master's, they asked me, could I expand on that? So what I did is I expanded on it and I created a referral management unit where we have a whole entire unit that re- reviews every referral that comes into the agency. So now instead of them getting 100% of the referrals, they only get around 37% of the referrals. Nice. And then uh, I became the inspector general. I've been the inspector general for the past 10 plus years. That's awesome. incredible. Incredible. Marla, what's your story? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I've been with the state, I want to say, anywhere from 10 to 12 years. Um, I'm a licensed attorney, and I'm, I'm a certified EEOC discrimination investigator as well as a certified mediator. And that's how I got experience, or that's that was my first, uh, I guess, touch with uh, OK DHS. And it was through uh, Kim Houck. Um, I would reach out to her when I worked over at the Merit Protection Commission to come um, and mediate um, cases. That being said, long story short, I ended up in her unit in um, HR division and um, worked there about two to three years. And I would help the Office for Civil Rights, never knowing that I would end up in this position. But I would use my um, certification as a EEOC discrimination investigator to look over their cl- their cases. And long story short, I ended up as the director of the Office for Civil Rights. So, um, and I'm thankful to be here. It's something I've always done as a preacher's kid. It's like I feel like community service is something I was born into, mm-hmm. you know, serving people. And so ultimately I landed in this role and I'm thankful for it. It's beautiful. Serving others seems to be a consistent theme here, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Absolutely. Makes sense. <laughs> but, um, so the reason why you guys are here particularly today is because you have you yourself like can you give me like what what even happened to bring the diversity education inclusion and belonging council excuse me diversity equity inclusion and belonging council into fruition oh I think that's a good one I think initially it started with um, when secretary brown came in um, and I want to say the chief plus team they start working on two North goals, and I believe it's eight total, but I believe the one that affects this one is the, the two North goal seven, which is building a culture of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And so when you had leadership, because you had Secretary Brown and you had the chief plus team, they start talking about it. They're like, how can we address these issues? And um, the chief of innovation, Jamie Ledoux, this is something that's near and dear to her heart. There was this equity project team that was put together and so you had all of these individuals to come together as a equity um, project team to start working on an equity strategy. But what I thought was even more so um, interesting is right before that, you saw the equity video teams live. And that's where Secretary Brown talked about how all these thoughts and how all this passion and we knew that we needed to do something. And he talked about the equity triad. And that was the, the listening, the learning and the transformation. And when you look at the listening part, it was three pieces. It was our workforce. It was the customers that we serve, as well as the community leaders and the community um, in which these individuals that we serve, they live in. Is exactly what Marla said. And when Director Brown, you know, Secretary Brown came into place, he put more emphasis on this. This is something that we have always started, and it maybe fills it out after a few months. But uh, Secretary Brown put more emphasis on this and said this is something that we will do. We won't just mention it and then do a couple of little ads about it and then at the end. 
And he said, no, we're, we're really going to put forth some effort to this. And so the one thing that's great about it is that he, he stepped back and said, we're going to let you all do it. You all have been at the agency longer than me. You all have been dealing with this longer than I have. So I'm going to let you all come up with some of the concepts and ideas and so forth. And he's been a great champion for us. He's always been there for us. Whenever we need any help or if we need any advice, he's there. He supports us. So because we're taking ownership into it, it's, it's really thriving and it's really going. And a lot of the people on the council have some sort of lived experience, whether whether it be they've they've experienced discrimination or they've ex- had some sort of an experience. I mean, we we learned a lot of that through the workforce survey, didn't yes. we? Yes, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. as well as the listening sessions. I thought, you know, here in our workforce, I mean, we have one of the largest workforces in the state. Um, we have over six six thousand two hundred or more employees. And being able to hear those experiences that you're talking about and hear how they felt and um, seeing that individuals of color or historically marginalized individuals are suffering here and are suffering in a way from systemic racism, from institutional racism. And we know that we have these policies and these practices that even if they didn't intend to discriminate, they have this this separate impact. To Tony's point about all of us coming together, it was important to hear from the individuals being affected. Mm-hmm. For the average listener right now, I feel like we've kind of skipped over something. What is this board? What are What is it? If you were going to explain this to somebody that had never heard of the diversity model or whatever it is, how would you explain the need for it and what it is? Well, you know, it's, it's called diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And we try to encompass everything from racial issues to sexual orientation and so forth. Well, the best way I can explain it to you is that it's the private conversations you normally have with your friends that's now brought to the forefront. You know, people have always talked about racial issues, but it's not just racial issues. It's about our sexual orientation, about just a person being belong, belonging in something. Religion. Yeah, religion and so forth like that. So now we're going to have a lot of those conversations out in the open because these are things that need to be addressed. The good thing about this council is that so many times when we come up with things, it's done just locally here in Oklahoma City, which is the large city. No, this includes everyone from from all counties, whether it's a large or small city or a large or small county, town, or whatever the case may be. So we're hearing everybody's story. That's mm-hmm. why you get the inclusion of everybody's included in this conversation. It's just not, this just doesn't affect someone in a larger city or someone in this particular area. This affects everyone at DHS because at DHS, as you know, we represent everyone in the state of Oklahoma. You know, we want to talk about everything, things that really affects your job performance, affects you as a person. Mm. We want to hear those things so we can know how can we better equip you with the knowledge and the tools to be able to be successful in helping others. And how can we change the agency? Yes, because we have to help <laughs> ourselves before we can help someone mm-hmm. else. And ultimately that, I mean, the impact is is a happier, healthier workforce yes. mm-hmm. who customers. can better serve our customers. Yes. yes. And that transformation, as you said, it happens when it begins, when we begin to be real. You know, mm-hmm. when we take that lens that we typically put up that filter and now we look at it from every angle, like you said, not just the protected classes of religion, sexual orientation, um, race, ethnicity, all of those, there, even your political affiliation. But now we're actually saying inclusion, mm-hmm. and that includes yes. everything. That's everybody. That's, what's, that's the distinction between the office that I run and 
diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is because my office has jurisdiction over those protected classes. But this dev is, like you said, it's bigger than that. It allows everyone to truly have a voice because typically there's some voices I would have jurisdiction over. They, they wouldn't be able to be heard. But I believe with this diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, they can now be heard and should be heard. Mm. Um, my first intentional touch with DHS, I was discriminated against. Mm. And it's been multiple, multiple times since mm. then. And so to hear that this council uh, was created to address just those issues, it, it honestly felt like a miracle. Um, because I know that <laughs> when you guys were talking about the survey, um, I, I believe Mark Balthrop, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He said something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it was basically like how just surprised he was by the results of this survey. Mm -hmm. And it really hit me in that moment because I was like, oh, my gosh, like I had only really been focused on my own issues that sure. had happened to me and my list of grievances that I had. And to know that across the whole state, mm -hmm. these incidences have been had so many times mm -hmm. over and over and over. It felt ingrained in our system. And so that for me was a very powerful moment to hear like, oh, my gosh, like so many other people have been going through this. And um, that first touch for discrimination for me came from me just wanting to be a foster parent. Mm -hmm. But there's been many other systems that have discriminated. And I know from my personal experience, I could talk about those things all day. But what are like some of the things that you've seen that really need to be addressed? Well, like I got, I'm gonna kind of jump in here and stuff like that. You know, basically what you, you know, you was talking about. I said, you know, some of the personal conversations you've had now to come to the forefront. You know, we really need to address the issue on promotion, minority promotions. Uh, you see a lot of people who work for the agency. They look like you, but you don't see a lot of them in higher-up positions. Um, it's not that we don't have quality people, mm -hmm. but the part of the problem is, you know, I've been here, like I said, I've been here for 27 years, and I see a lot of people that I've been knowing for years, and I've asked them, why don't you apply for some of these positions? They were like, I'm not going to get it, so why apply? So that systemic bias has always been in place. They just turn around and don't apply. So when you look at the numbers and you say, well, we didn't have the X number of minorities to apply for this position, well, it's because it's been ingrained in them that they're not going to get the position, so they don't even waste their time to do it. Over my years of being with the agency is that we have just accepted things. Hmm. We know that things are just going to be that way, so we have accepted them. Now, with Director Brown coming in here and giving a new uh, breath of fresh air, yes. it's like, no, you don't have to accept those things. Mm -hmm. You need to go out there and voice your, your opinion. Now, it's the right way and the wrong way to voice your opinion, but okay. still, you need to be able to speak freely. And I think what... The way the, the the Chief Plus team and the director is going, they're giving us the opportunity to say, yes, I can voice my opinion. I can say this, that, and the other and not feel that I'm going to be ostracized or someone's going to criticize me or I'm going to have a mark put against me to do these things and so forth. I could go on about different other things, but I just want people to know that we have the opportunity now to make a change. Mm -hmm. Take that opportunity. So so long for so many years, we have been a lot. We just been beat down where we know don't say anything. Yeah. Just accept it. Keep it moving on. You have a job. Do this. Do that. But now we have the opportunity to really just speak up. And now that's the thing. One of the things we have to do. We have to change that culture that you can speak up. That's right. Because so many times people are still afraid to say something. They'll say, "Well, Tony, you're in this position." Well. For seven of the 10 years that I was on the exec team, 
I was the only African-American male on there. And I'm like, I know good and well there's more out there. Mm -hmm. I know there's more females out there because when I first started at the agency, probably 60% to 65% of the people that worked for DHS were females, but 60, 65% were uh, supervisors were male. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that is that is changing like that. And that's something that we have to look, step back and look at it. This just didn't happen overnight, but somebody had to be the one to say, okay, we need to pay attention to this. We need to start making changes and so forth. Mm -hmm. and, and, and to add to that point, part of this equity strategy is going to be putting into place um, mechanisms and structures to deal with those ceilings, to deal with those lack of opportunities. That's one of the things is professional development and opportunities for uh, individuals of color, mm -hmm. you know, um, in hiring and recruiting, having a diverse panel, having a diver diverse pool of people that are actually coming to the forefront and then to Tony's point, once they get into the forefront, professional development to make sure that they don't just stay in this position, you know, because that is typically what happens. And then opening up these forums where we're including them in our PMP for our, as well as with our supervisors, as well as with our workforce of having these in our forefronts of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And when I say in your forefront, meaning having an equity lens as you go through the day, as you're working as you're interacting with the communities that you're serving, you know, in order for us to have service first and to actually listen to them. Because for a long time, it was interesting. We were serving these individuals, but not listening to them, mm -hmm. you know, not opening up opportunities for access. They were frustrated because we had them running all over the place. That's one of the things that this, the listening portion of that equity triad is starting to build. When you, you hear it in the uh, Be a Neighbor, Instead of having these people who already have access issues, access to transportation, access to education, access to um, child care, so on and so forth. Now we're trying to streamline those things. But these are things, like Tony was saying, to his points that we have known about for years and nothing has been done. But yes. I agree. We are in a new era. Mm -hmm. You know, we might be in uncharted waters, but this is the right time. Mm -hmm. This is the right thing to do. And I, I all I can say, you know, as I, I tell people, get on board get on board with this this was not built overnight and it won't be fixed overnight no. but it's going to take all of us participating and using our voice and being vulnerable mm -hmm. to speak up and to be a part of this change absolutely so what what do you think um what makes an equitable organization and you know we, you've already talked about some of the reasons that that's important but can you can you expand on that a little bit too well to me to be an equitable uh, organization we need to expand everybody's toolbox. We're mm -hmm. just going to use an analogy of the toolbox. Everyone is given tools to do their job, but we need to open up that toolbox and add a few more tools in there, mm -hmm. and we need to encourage people to use those tools. One of the issues that we have at the agency over the years and stuff is that people were given that toolbox, but they never was encouraged to put a different tool in there and, and add right. to that toolbox. And then people were afraid to ask, can I get that tool? Mm -hmm. Can I get that uh, mm -hmm. that training, that, that whatever they needed to be able to exceed because they was like, well, if I get it, they're not going to let me use it. Right. So in order for us to be more of an equitable uh, division, we got to not only give people the tools, which that's what we're doing right now, but we got to encourage them to use the tools. Mm -hmm. We got to encourage them to like, take a chance. If you make a mistake, no one's going to mm -mm. crucify you. If you don't, if you make a mistake, we want, we want you to take that tool and use it. And if you don't know how to use it, ask someone. We should have people there who's going to help you build you up. Because in order for us to be a better 
uh, agency, we must build up the people that's there. That's right. We can't always just sit back and say, hey, well, you don't know how to do this. No, well, let me show you how to use that too. That's right. Mm-hmm. And empower. in order, empower, exactly. And in order for them to use those tools, we got to empower them with the policies and practices mm-hmm. to back that up. Yes. Because that's where typically they fall back. Because yeah, you might get this tool, but then this policy is going to block you, mm-hmm. or this practice is going to block you. So those systemic barriers are also going to be a part of that. What what makes an equitable organization is recognizing those barriers and tearing them down, mm-hmm. and then putting up new things into place to prevent them from ever coming back and to move that that system forward that they can actually show up with a toolbox that works every day you know when i pull that becomes ingrained in your culture correct just like this is who we are and those other things that we used to do they're not us yeah Yeah. (laughs) and that will also change the mentality because i love it how they talk about elephants and i used i used to love the circus growing up and you'd see this huge animal chained with this little bitty chain and you're thinking like if he or she just goes forward they could break it but they say they do it when they're little. So this mentality builds up that they don't try. And that's the bad thing about what has been happening over the years. Now people don't try. Mm-hmm. It's been put into place mm-hmm. so long that the frustrations are, it's just like, now I'm no longer frustrated. I'm just numb. I'm not going to try. I'm just going to ride this out. Mm-hmm. And so we need to eradicate those things so that way they can start, like you said, have that culture, have that workforce atmosphere when I come to work that I know that this is put into place for me mm-hmm. versus no status quo. I come to work. This is how it is. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that helps us define what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. Correct. Like yes. we will draw lines in the sand now. Like this yes. is not acceptable. Um, I, I am really glad that you brought up this isn't just staying to Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, this is this is everywhere. And the experience across the state is different for everybody. And mm-hmm. it certainly makes a big difference if you're in an urban area mm-hmm. and a rural area. And there's different issues in both kinds of environments. So I'm just really glad that this is going to be an expansive thing because I know that it is so needed. Um, how do you think this um, relates to like where we are culturally right now? Is that too big of a question? <laughs> no, I think that's I think that's a great question because I think that yes, these things might culturally are going on, but this has happened historically. You know, when things looking at systemic, you know, racism, looking at racism as a whole, or looking at historically marginalized individuals, history has shown us the patterns of what we're seeing right now. You know, from riots to you know, just the unrest, truly having social unrest. So this is nothing new. But what I think is distinctive at this moment, this was not something that we were doing as a political thing. This was this happened way before the things start happening in 2020. This was something that was already being thought about because it was the right thing to do mm-hmm. versus just being a part of sometimes something that's political or, or, or it's just right now. This is the thing to do right now. Then tomorrow there'll be something else to do. What we're setting up is for not when I'm when we're gone, when Tony and I are gone, we're setting up a structure that will live on. You know, Secretary Brown, the chief team, the equity team, all of you all, the workforce, the work that they put into this right now, people will be benefiting from and still using it and adding to. Because I have to say that this is not this is not a destination, but it's a journey Mm -hmm. that will continue on outside of whatever the climate may be at the time. Mm but literally changing the culture. So if you were to listen, if you were speaking directly to just a, a, an Oklahoman, 
what would you say about because like one thing I don't feel like a lot of people get maybe it's more in the rural area is how um, oppression affects a person over time if you've never experienced oppression you really have no point of context I don't know maybe you do How would you describe to somebody that doesn't understand that, doesn't understand generational trauma and the effects of all of that? How could you explain that in the most simple terms from your perspective? I always like to take it from the standpoint of being human. I don't have to always, you know, experience things to not to to understand when somebody's hurting, Mm -hmm. to understand when somebody's experiencing injustice. Now, I might not understand the depth of it because I haven't experienced it. But I think that this is a human issue that some things, you, you, you know, to see someone be shot or killed because of the color of their skin or to see their, and to see their mother, to see their, their father, to see their sibling out there distraught, that's, not, that's a human issue, you know? And I think that when we talk about even marginalized individuals, just not only individuals of color, to see someone hungry, you know, mm-hmm. someone who is poor, or to or living in poverty, I may have never lived in poverty, but as a human, I can see that that's I can see that hurt. I can see the need, and so I think to me, my my answer would be on a human level. That's how I would explain it. Just like I said to just said to you all, this is a human issue. These are things that my eyes can allow me to see when somebody's hurting. My eyes can allow me just even empathy. Having empathy and compassion for people, I think, is a huge, huge component of this type of work that you have to, I mean, I have to say, how can you see hurting individuals and not be, not, not understand oppression or not understand suffering or not understand poverty, not understand what it's like to not be able to feed your child, mm-hmm. not just yourself, but my child. It's a human issue. For me, I would just tell people, I said, <clears throat> you know, Marla said, you know, treat them, you know, be a human. But what I try to tell people is that with today's society, with the improvement in technology, social media, and everything like that, the things that you see has been going on for years. Yes. It's just been more brought to the forefront because right. now everything can be put out there instantly within seconds and so That's forth. Right. And it's okay to be upset about things. And I tell, you know, my kids, yeah. I say, hey, it's okay to be upset about something, but how are you going to improve this? That's how it. are you going to change this? I said, don't sit back with your friends and y'all complain about it, but you don't do anything to try to change the actions that's, that's there for. We need to educate everybody. <clears throat> you know, I grew up in a small, you know, rural town, and I remember going to a grocery store with my parents, my grandparents, and they would always park in the, in the alley in the back behind the store, mm-hmm. and they would come in through the store through the back end when they could have walked in through the front. But they were... They were taught that, hey, you don't come in through the front door. You're not allowed That's to walk right. in through the front door. You have to come in through the back. So I did that with them. Then when my, you know, my mom and dad would come into the store, they would always take us through the front. Mm-hmm. And I never understood that until my dad sat me down and said, back, you know, back when your, your grandparents were come, you know, coming up, they weren't allowed to walk through the front door. Mm-hmm. So I knew the difference. I knew how my grandparents was brought up, That's right. how my parents was brought up and stuff. And my dad has always told me, Hey, you walk through the front door. You be a for, you take the forefront and you step up and do what you need to do. But only how you can make change is you got to be active That's in right. what you do. Don't be a part of the problem. The solution. Educate yourself before you start to try to take up some cause. 
That's good. Because so many times that we see something that we believe is unjust, and then we fire out there and we go out there unguided, and we just cause a bigger problem. Where if we would just educate ourselves, then get out there and try to make make a change. Okay. If you talk to older people that's older than me and stuff like that, they'll tell you this has been going on for years. For years. This is not just something that just happened, but because of the advent of the social media age, everyone just like, oh, I can't believe this is you happening. Can see it. No, it's been happening for years. Mm-hmm. And so we need to educate ourselves. We need to make sure that when we out there, that this is not just a minority problem. Correct. This is a societal problem. It's human. So we need to be, like I said, Marla said, we need to be human about this and understand that we need to treat each other like we want it, like mm-hmm. we would treat each other. When the media is a, is gone, when That's the right. cameras, lights are turned off, the cameras are turned off, are you still out there trying to make social change? Okay. And I believe that mm-hmm. some of the things that we're doing here at this agency is what we're trying to do is Director Brown is not out there doing a big publicity campaign no, with, no. with the news media saying we're doing this at the agency. We're trying to start this with within. And That's hopefully right. you plant that seed and you put a little water on there and you get, give a little nourishment that it grows and that this thing That's will it. grow. It's going to grow mm-hmm. because I've seen that this is not a six-month plan. It's mm-hmm. not a year plan. Mm-hmm. This is a multiple-year plan, and it's going to continue even when after when me and Marla is gone and stuff like that. This plan is going to still keep growing because you're always going to have some point where it's like, okay, we've done this. Well, after you've done that, what else is going on? That's right. Because the problem is just going to morph into mm-hmm. something different. Mm-hmm. And as times change, we need to change with it to make sure we keep giving people the tools that they need to keep to keep this uh, great work going. Yes. That's it. The momentum. That's what it is. That's the momentum. And our director does certainly have that, doesn't he? He does. Yes. <laughs> and that's what's needed for this change. And I feel um, like overwhelmed when I think about how big all mm-hmm. the problems are. But I do know if we focus on one thing here and there, a little at a time, maybe it can bring that change. Maybe mm-hmm. what you guys are doing is being some change makers. So I just really appreciate it. On the on behalf of everybody that has felt um, maybe unworthy, not belonged, or all those things that you can feel, those low vibe things, <laughs> um, just thank you so much. Thanks for bringing this to the forefront. Thanks for having these conversations. Thanks for being brave enough to do this. Seriously. Um, I have more hope now, I think, than I've ever had mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Yes. You all have already had um, some accomplishments, too, under the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Mm -hmm. and Belonging Council. Um, Comfort and I were reading some of those in uh, in one of the uh, PowerPoints that were sent out. Can you talk about some of that? Yeah. I I love the fact that, you know, when this equity triad began, we were talking about that listening point. The Council of Voices came together where you have all of these community leaders in many different places and and there are many different people they they're whether they're with the legislature, whether they're clergymen, whether they're actually um, community providers, but these are people who touch the people that we serve on almost a day to day basis. And so I believe that's a victory already having them come together and meeting and talking about how can we address these issues and what are some things that we can put to place, which has been a part and you kind of you see it is going to play out in our equity strategy. And then the Dev Council is going to move some more of these initiatives um, into place, which I'm excited about. Some of them we've already talked about, about professional development, where Tony was talking about they need those tools. They need those tools in order for us to deal with when you, whether you're 
not only a, I think it was not only a, a female, but a female of color, or you get capped at this ceiling by having these professional development where they can make it to thrive in some of these leadership trainings in order to get what they need to move to that next level. Um, that's part of what the Deb Council will be putting together, meaning they'll be working along. And then I can tell you, HR is already in the process of adding those things. And so it's just so many different things are just playing out. This is a exciting time. I agree when I heard Comfort say about this, it's, it's almost overwhelming, but I can tell you it, it's just as much as the problems are overwhelming, everybody together are becoming so innovative. Having these many different people speak into it from the Council of Voices to now the Deb Council to the workforce from the listening sessions have already moved some things already. You know, it's just, it's, I mean, every day I wake chills. up, it's something else, <laughs> something else that's going forward. Yeah, I, I just want to comment on the Deb Council. I want people to understand that this is just not something that's going to end after six Mm-mm. to nine months. Mm-mm. We have another set of people, group of people who are set to start after the initial council members in their term. Then after that, we still have a third set That's right. of council members still set in place. So at the very least, this is going to go 18 to 20 months before we even start looking at a putting, new a, putting a new council to get out there and so forth. So that's one of the things I love about this Deb Council and the things that we're doing right now is because we have seen the future that, hey, we can't just anticipate this going to just work in six months. That's right. This is a long-term goal. So that's why we're involving so many people across the state to get involved in this. And everyone is going to listen in on each council Mm -hmm. that goes on. So they'll know what is being done before them and after them. Mm -hmm. And they still will be able to put in input. That's right. And you're just building those voices like kind of all along the Mm -hmm. way. Yes. Because once you've been on the DIB council, you're always going to be a de facto member of it. You still will be called upon for your opinion, your advice and so forth. Tell us about um, that whole process of the committee and all of that, this forming was a, it. This was a what I thought was really interesting. We did it. It was a blind process because we were talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and we didn't want to exclude anybody. We didn't want to be biased in what we were doing. So as we put together, and it was like two, I think it was teams of two, and it was blind. So we had a questions that were put out and had each individual answer them. And then we had a team of two from the executive team as well as the equity project team that we looked at the answers to these and rated them. And, and we didn't know anybody's them, name. Didn't no. know anybody's <laughs> name, position, so on and so forth. It was literally, when I say blind, truly blind. And then we picked our top five, we being each team, and then we came together and threw them, threw them all together in the sense of the top five. And then it was... Uh, we did it randomly where they, where they pulled it out. So that way we never made any decisions based upon looking at a person's name, position. It was truly graded on this rubric of questions, um, which, if, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen that before. So we never seen anyone's names tapped or was already picked. Interesting. Because we, again, we did not want to be this. We wanted to make sure to protect what we were building. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't say you're building a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and then we're using, you know, the biases because you can you can have that implicit bias that you're unaware of, and you're making that decision. Mm-hmm. But that was all mm-hmm. pulled out because mm-hmm. it was truly blind. Once we got our core names that we were going to use, we just did a random sample, and then That's it. those people were picked to be on the first group, second, and third. And we had a anomaly come up where we had one particular set of people, basically females, that was all on one particular group. 
And I just told him, I said, hey, go with it. That's that's the random sample. That's just how it goes. I said, because that's what we need at the agency. Because if, you know, I'm not saying this because I'm in a room with a bunch of women. But <laughs> the women tend to step up more than the men. So, men, I'm putting it out there to you all. You all got to step up. You all cannot uh, sit up here back and say, oh, I can't believe they're doing this and another. Well, you had the opportunity just like everybody else. So it's time for us to step up and help be a solution, mm-hmm. not that's a right. problem. Yeah, please. Was there anything that you found particularly surprising or moving during that whole process of determining the council? It's such a a different, novel, interesting thing to me. I'm just really curious about the details of all that. One of the things I saw is that answer after answer after answer, you could see that passion about Mm -hmm. this. You can tell when someone was just putting something down there. But I can tell you this. There were very few, few times that I've seen someone just give a generic answer. Right. People were compassionate. They was giving their their stories, mm-hmm. things that had happened to them, why they believe that this should, why this council should go on so like that. It was just a passion that mm-hmm. you could read into this, and it was like, oh my gosh, man! You know, I had experienced some of this, but I didn't realize it was just so widespread. Mm-hmm. Oh, that widespread think, part. <laughs> and I think it was just the weight. I think to add to his point, you 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 on one hand was just super excited about all these individuals i mean have four, over 400 people step up because you're worried like this is not Will a subject that people, yeah, yeah this is not a subject that people like to talk about or want to be a part of you know they like to shy away from it so we were pleasantly surprised to see this many people wanting to speak up but then on the other side there was this weight of we want to get this thing right mm-hmm. you know we we know that this is huge so so i think that the biggest thing for for us was that twofold that excitement about the momentum and wanting to keep the momentum. If you talk to Tony, I'm shocked he ain't said it yet, but that's his thing. He wants to see the same excitement five years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had that passion, and then you had that passion over here. We must get this right, and that's why we're reaching out. We want to hear everybody's voice. We want to get this thing right, and we know that that takes time. You know, this is not something to check off the box to say, hey, we did it, and then move on. No, we, we want to see sustainable change. It's beautiful. So it was interesting. What would you say to that worker somewhere across the state that um, is burned out emotionally, physically, mentally, um, doesn't feel like there's any upward mobility, Mm. and feels left out? Mm. What you guys have, have going on, what would you say to someone like that? Well, what I would tell them is that you're not alone. That's right. You're not alone. And really look at this council, see what we're doing in this council. Just because you're not in the council doesn't mean you can't give some input. You can't reach out to some people. Hopefully you'll know someone or know someone in your office as part of this council. But if you burn out and stuff like that, just just I want them to know that you're not alone. I've been with the agency 27 years, and I've been waiting for this for years. Hmm. We've always, throughout the years, we've had something get started, and then it fizzles out after a few months or so forth, or you do the initial survey, and then you hear nothing, no follow-up from this. Right. And so now, you know, I'm at, the, you know, I'm getting towards the end of my career, and I'm just proud of the fact that, well, my kids, <laughs> if they decide to want to come this direction, work for the agency, that there's going to be something there in place to try to That's help good. them out, that they'll have something to say, you know what, you know, my dad told me about this. Mm-hmm. This is what's going on. Regardless if my kids come here or not, I just want anybody who comes to agency, regardless of you how old you are, how young you are, to know that you're not alone. Let's work together to improve this. And then, like for those who are burnt out, I'm telling you, there there's a new light, there's a new breath of fresh air coming through. That's it. So please hold in there. 
even though you may feel like you burn out, you still have some life left in you. And please come this way and help us out. I agree. Yes. I would just add the first thing that came to my mind when you, you, you described this individual is hope. Hope is here, you know, and the hope is not here as a something that is just out in the air, but it's tangible now. If, if this person's listening to this, there, there, there's hope. Hope is here. Hope is here. Change is here. Change is Transformation here. Transformation <laughs> is here. Yes. And this is the time. So mm-hmm. you matter. You are important. You know, we value you. We respect you. We want to hear from you. What are some of the goals? I mean, all of this stuff makes me think about like the future and all this positive momentum. What are some of the goals, both short-term and long-term of the council? I think the biggest goal is, is the structure of the equity strategy. And we've talked a lot about those goals throughout here is moving those imperatives forward. Um, seeing them in our PMPs, um, helping working alongside HR, getting the training, getting all those things into place because that's that toolbox. I love mm-hmm. how Tony said that that's going to be the toolbox is making sure that we have all of these things in operation so they can reach out and grab them in order to start seeing the culture. Because you will see the culture change as you have these tools mm-hmm. and as you have these tools connected to each component to where they're supposed to to go in. So that's going to be the biggest imperative for the Deb Council. And they're going to be able to speak into it in a way that I think that all of us, because they're so diverse and they're from different positions of the agency, that they're going to be able to even see barriers that we, we primarily probably would not see because we don't work in that. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be, I think, one of the biggest things with the Deb Council is working on those goals, but also bringing that lens, each lens that they bring. Also, on our goals, our goals are already going to be written down, but they're going to be written down in semi-permanent ink. Mm-hmm. We're going to, once we attain our goal, that's not the end. Of, that's not the end. That's just next to the next. That's just the next. next. That's just for us to start building on it. Because each goal that we have is really is our foundation. That's it. And we're going to keep building that foundation, keep mm-hmm. moving up, keep moving, keep moving up. That's good. Because as time goes on, the needs for this council are going to change. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Well, I think that concludes our time, does it not? It does. I think but, we've asked all the questions, at least, that we thought we were going to ask. Thank you all so much. Do you do guys you, have any questions? Sorry, go ahead. Or do you have any, like, just parting words of wisdom yeah. or anything that you want to leave our audience with? I, I would just remind them, again, that this is a journey. It's not a destination. Please give us grace. You know, we were talking about humility a while ago. You know, please let's remain humble out of this situation because we don't know everything. We don't claim to know everything. But this truly is just the journey. We're building the blocks. We're building the structure that hopefully will, you know, outlast us and will, you know, as Tony has said, sustainable change at the end of the day. That's what we're working for. And so we we ask for your grace, your humility, but we also ask for your courage to speak up. Yeah. Yeah, I tell this is what I would like to say to people. Don't judge the council until you get to know what we're doing in the council. If you think we're doing something wrong, try to become part of the council. Please. That's that's all we ask. We ask you to just be a participant. Yes. You may not be on the council, but be a participant in the things that we're trying to accomplish, things right. we're trying to do. If we send out any surveys or if we ask for questions about stuff, man, give your opinion, your Please. honest opinion. It is not, I'm, you know, we're all grown. We, it's not going to hurt our feelings. But I just ask before you pass judgment on us, get to know what we're doing. Absolutely. And we say thank you for all of your participation um, thus far in this work. And we thank you for your future because we're in claimant participation. (laughs) Yes, we are. And then we would like to say thank you to, to Casey and to Comfort for this opportunity. Yes. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Waypoint, where we're on this journey together. To learn more about the work of the DEIB Council or raise your hand to suggest ways we can work together with our communities to be more inclusive, visit OurOKDHS.org. We hope you'll continue to join us on this podcast where we'll explore topics that affect and uplift Oklahomans. Please like this episode and subscribe so you're alerted when each new episode posts.